Welcome to the Addiction in My Family podcast, dedicated to educate parents and other family members about addiction, codependency, enabling, and recovery with your host, Donna Marston, author of Peeling the Onion and Just for Today. Welcome to Addiction in My Family. This is Donna M., your host. And today I have my beautiful son, Peter, who's a person in long-term recovery. And what that means is Peter has not used heroin or any other mind-altering substance since May 11, 2008, which happened to be Mother's Day. So welcome, Pete. Hi. Hi, Mom. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Thanks good. for having me on. You're welcome. So let's um, let's start with how old were you when your addiction or behaviors started? Uh, well, I think my behavior started long before my addiction started with just, you know, certain personality traits and characteristics. My my drug use started when I was 15 years old. It was the first time I, you know, took a, ingested a drug into my system, that being marijuana with a group of kids. And, you know, from that point moving forward, I started to use on a very regular basis. You know, at first it was just in the weekends drinking and, and, and smoking marijuana. And then it became more of a daily thing with the drug use and the, the alcohol still stayed in the weekends. And then, there was just this natural progression for me where, you know, marijuana wasn't cutting it. I was introduced to other pills, prescription drugs, um, Klonopins. And this is at 15? 15, 16 years old. I was in high school. And, and then before I had graduated high school, I was a heroin addict by the time I was a senior in high school. And I was a stay-at-home mom who thought I knew what my kids were doing. That's, that's the amazing part is I was home. I was driving you to school. I was picking you up from school. I was at all your events. So how did it happen? How did you get that past daddy and I? Um, well, in high school, you know, I, you know, I changed schools from, from a local public school to a private high school. And I don't know if you I mean, you know, now because you know my story, but the reason why I made that change back then was because I just didn't fit in. You know, I was picked on and put down and, and beat up and belittled and made fun of. So I decided to change schools and go to a private school that's local to where we live. And when I got there, I was able to reinvent myself. Now the summer going into high school is when I started to, you know, use drugs. And that was my vehicle to reinvent who I was, was the drug use. I thought that the reason why the kids at the other school made fun of me and picked on me and put me down was because I wasn't drinking and I wasn't smoking weed like all the cool kids were. And that was just, you know. Supposed cool kids. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, I thought that that was the vehicle to allow me to be accepted into the group that I wanted to be hanging out with. and then. You know, I went to high school and I got a license. So once I got that license, you know, I was driving myself to school and 
and you know it wasn't hard to to hide i didn't think it was hard to hide the drug use and um from anybody i i think by all accounts if you were to look at me or know me back then most people wouldn't have been able to guess that i was using really hard drugs at a young age you know i always had jobs and i was a nice kid um but deep down i was you know hooked on some things that were running my life and 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 do you remember i mean i used to ask you if you were using drugs and you'd be highly insulted my gut would be stirring and I would ask what's going on because I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And, and oh, I remember you'd be highly insulted when I yeah. asked you. Yeah. My disease was trying to protect itself. I remember you coming to my work, you know, and I'd have tissues shoved in both sides of my nostrils because I get, would get such bad nosebleeds from, from, uh, you know, snorting drugs was one of the methods that I, you know, early on was using and you, I remember you showing up to a place where I worked and asking me if I was using drugs, you know, and me denying it mm -hmm. as I had the tissues hanging out of my nose, my nose from <laughs> these nosebleeds. So, but you, yeah. so it, it, but those nosebleeds were, we used to go to the doctors for those and get your nose cauterized. Remember? Yeah. But that was before the drug use. That was more like, I, I don't, I didn't get them as bad, you know, as I got older, but I do remember that because of the, when the seasons changed the humidity. So, right. So it wasn't abnormal for me because we used to go to the doctor for that. And then as, as your addiction progressed and you were getting the bloody noses, I didn't really think much of it because you had the bloody noses before. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so you started at age 15, and then I think by, what's it, 17, did you tell me that you started using uh, needles and started with heroin? No. I, was, I started using heroin when I was 17, but I didn't start shooting until I was in my 20s. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, no person, you know, wants to be addicted to heroin. No person, everybody says, oh, I'll never shoot heroin. But <laughs> it's a matter of time, in my experience. I was the same person. I mean, we obviously have a, a long family history on dad's side of the family where there's, you know, some real serious um, drug addiction and alcoholism that runs very, very deep. So I knew all that stuff growing up. You and dad used to warn me when I was a, you know, teenager that I needed to be careful when I, you know, how I drank and, and that I needed to stay away from drugs because of the grip it had on, on that side of the family. And, you know, in the, in the big book, it talks about ominous warning, which I failed to heed. And that was an ominous warning for me. And I, you know, I looked right past it. And again, like I never thought that I would become, you know, a heroin addict, let alone start shooting, you know, heroin into my body at a certain age. But it gets so dark when you're living that life and the desperation uh, is the desperation is just something that you can't control. I had a, you know, I had a point in time where, you know, I obviously crossed that line and started to, to 
use needles, you know, and that brought me to my knees pretty quick because I was sober within a couple of years. But, um, but you were afraid of needles when you're a kid. You hated needles. You hated getting shots. So it blew me away when I found out that you were an intravenous user. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think any heroin addict loves needles. <laughs> you know, it's just the way that people get high. But it's interesting because in my groups, you know, the support groups that I run, people will say, well, I know my child will never use needles because they're deathly afraid of them. And, and when they say that, I, I typically bite my tongue. Sometimes I might say something, but, you know, I, it brings me back to that was my thought. My son's deathly afraid of needles. He'll never do that. Yeah. I think it's a common thing across the board with any IV drug user is they, they eventually, the way it happened for me was I didn't have enough drugs that if I was going to snort it, it was going to affect me. And I knew that if I put that amount into a needle that I would get really high as high as I needed to be to function and feel normal. So that's what I did. And the first time I did it, I, I didn't do it myself. I had a friend do it for me and he shot me up and, you know, later on that day it wore off and I was at home in the, in the living room downstairs and doing it myself for the first time. And I was shaking as I was trying to do it, you know, and then like anything else you get after enough time, you get better at doing it. So, and then it doesn't become that big of a deal. But then you ended up getting um, an uh, abscess in your arm from missing, right? Yep. You remember having surgery for that? Mm -hmm. Which is, my understanding, is very common as well, mm -hmm. that that happens. Or people end up with blood infections and end up in the hospital for... There's a lot of different things, yeah. Right. So... Um, Let's talk about how you went from those years to where you are today. Let's talk about your recovery because it's pretty amazing. A lot of, so in the beginning, I didn't realize that I had a problem. I was, I always say, I feel like I was the last person to find out that I, you know, had a problem with drugs and alcohol. Everybody else knew. My coworkers knew, employers knew, you guys knew something was up with your son. I had lost friends because of my disease. Could never pinpoint that the problem was my use. I always thought that my use was the glue that was holding me together. So, you know, eventually the dam broke and things came to surface, things came to light. You guys found out what was going on with me and my life was completely unmanageable working a full-time job at, I think I was working at Renna center in 2006. Uh, the first time I went to treatment. So I was working a full-time job, making pretty decent money at, you know, 21, 22 years old, but still never had any money to pay my bills. Never had money to put gas in my vehicle to get to work. I remember one time I ran out of gas and had to have my, the manager of the store come in, put gas in my car so I could get to work that day. And, um, you know, that's just an example. I mean, had a job, should have been able to pay my bills, couldn't pay any bills, couldn't even put gas in my truck because every penny I made went to, you know, drugs and alcohol. And there were several times you bailed me out with debts I owed to drug dealers. I don't know if you remember 
Oh yeah. <laughs> so I remember. Um, so the first time I went to treatment was in 2006. I went to a facility a couple towns away and it was a great experience. I went there, I went to detox first. I detoxed. I was there for 34 days, felt really good. I had made some new friends and the day I got out, I wasn't focused on my recovery. I, one of the lies I told myself for many years was that I wasn't an alcoholic. I was just a a drug addict. So the day I got out, I hung out with those people that I was in treatment with and all of us drank that night. And, you know, I thought I was okay and that that was fine. And then a couple months later, you know, I was back to using drugs and that type of stuff happened for, you know, the next two years I'd go to treatment, I'd get sober for, you know, a couple weeks or a month and then I would go back out. Um, I went to five different treatment centers. There's a lot of, there are a lot of failed attempts at getting sober. And then the, what I would, would hope is going to still remain the last time, um, May 11th, 2008, the day before that, in a really dark place, tried to commit suicide. You know, Tyler had found what was going on. I'd left a bunch of stuff in the bathroom and he saw exactly what was going on and told you and dad. And, and we oh, had a horrible fight that day. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I was given an ultimatum. You know, I had to go to treatment or, or you guys weren't going to be a part of my life anymore. So I agreed to go that day. I tried to commit suicide because I just, it's dark, you know, it gets really dark. You don't know for me. Like I just did not think that I was ever going to be able to, you know, beat the game and be sober and be happy at that. Because anytime I'd been sober before, I was never quite happy, you know. Um, I was discontent. I was restless. I was irritable. And the only thing that made me feel content, settled, and happy um, was drugs and alcohol. It brought ease and comfort into my life. So, you know, I wake up after that failed suicide attempt. It's Mother's Day. And, you know, I never thought how that would affect my family, you know. For you guys to find me on Mother's Day, um, you know, if I had not, you know, if I had passed away with how so many families are finding their kids, I didn't even think about that until I was probably six years sober, what that would have been like for you guys. And, you know, I went to treatment the next day and I, I'd love to say I jumped in head first, but I didn't. I just, uh, I had reservations. I thought that I was just going to stay there two weeks longer than I stayed at the last place. And, you know, the grace of God entered my life in a miraculous way where I surrendered during a moment of clarity where this God inspired thought came into my consciousness. And that thought was, why don't you do something different this time than you've tried every other time being sober. And in that moment I surrendered and said, okay, I'll take all the suggestions. I'll do whatever it takes. And I might've been, you know, seven days clean and sober at this time, detoxing. And then from that point till today, I've just taken a lot of different actions in my life. And because of that, I've gotten very, very different results than I was used to getting before then. So that's kind of the, the short ver- version of it. Uh, and so what I, what it has done for me 
all of us actually, um, your sobriety and recovery has changed my, me and who I am and how I live my life. And, um, and, and, you know, when, when I speak or when I do different uh, venues, I always end with a, a curse can be a blessing and a blessing could be a curse. The curse of addiction almost destroyed my child and myself and my family. But in the end, we have rebuilt our relationship. We've regained our sanity. We found our serenity. And, um, you know, we're, we've all... Um, are better versions of ourselves, right? I think our family's closer than it ever was. And we were always a close family, but I think we're extremely close. And um, people can't hear you shaking your head. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Relationships have been rebuilt, that is for sure. Yeah. And, um, and, and all the great things that you're doing, you're an entrepreneur, you're a homeowner, you have a beautiful four-month-old baby boy and a beautiful wife. And um, you just amaze me in your recovery. And it's interesting. I taught a class on uh, stages of recovery. And there, it's really a 10-year process. And when I look at the first year, second year, third year, up to the 10th year, you are like the, the perfect role model for it, which I'm sure anybody does, but you're my son, so that's what we can talk about. But um, it's amazing because the first year, you know, you're learning to get social and going, mingling, going to groups. And by the third year, you're learning to be honest and, 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 and you continue to move forward in life. So um, you have role modeled everything that that, that um, piece talks about in, with the stages of recovery which is pretty impressive. When I saw it, I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and that was just recently, I think a couple months ago when I taught that class. So um, one of the things I think is really important, you said this uh, one of the times when you were speaking at one of my uh, parent support groups, and we talked about resentments. And you said, I was one of your resentments. And yet I was your chief enabler. I was the one who paid your drug dealers. I'm the one that uh, would get your father off your back. I'm the one who would just, um, I was like, you were the puppet master and I was a puppet. And I remember when you first got out of recovery telling one of your aunts that you could control me. And um, do you remember that? It was at Thanksgiving. You don't no. remember that? Yeah. No. And, and it just kind of hit home. But anyway, let's talk about, here I am, your chief enabler. I'm pretty much doing anything you want and need, right? And yet you resented me. And the reason you said you resented me is because I reminded you of everything you did wrong. Is that correct? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of stuff. <laughs> you don't remember that? No. Really? No. So do you remember talking about resenting me? Oh yeah, you are on the. You are. There's a lot of resentments that I that I wrote out, not just about you, but dads. On, I mean, you name a person, they're on the list. Yeah, you know. So, but my I, point is, here I am, the chief enabler, thinking I'm doing everything I can to save you and rescue you, you from your addiction, and yet, and it was all in the name of love. 
as a parent and taking my job seriously, and yet you resented me. So I'm just wondering if you can share that with everybody, what that was, why? Well, it, and when it comes to resentments, it's never the person that is resented. All roads lead back to me. Exactly. So it's not, it's not, you know, you running around and doing all these things for me. I could never see, see it for what it was. There right. was always that restlessness, that irritability, that discontentment, that never being satisfied, that always being easily annoyed and never being happy. That manifested itself in a lot of different ways. It didn't matter what, what it was. I was never, <laughs> there was nothing you could have done. And the reason why those resentments were there were you questioned me about my drug use. I resent my mother. She's always questioning me about my drug use, right? Mm -hmm. That would be the cause. What does it affect? It affects my personal relationship. With your drug? With, with you. you. Oh, okay. I, I just want to be left alone, you know? Yeah. Um, it affects my um, emotional security my own emotional security. It affects my ambition and my pride. Yeah. Resentments are never the person that you're resentful at. It's, it's, it all comes back to me and what I expect and what I, and, and how I think others should be operating and treating me. So, and there's a part, I have a part in everything that goes on. So in these resentments, I have a resentment against you and it's like, there's a saying in 12-step group that I, the 12-step program that I go into. Resentment is like um, trying to poison somebody else, but you, I'm drinking the poison. Mm -hmm. I, I don't mm -hmm. know how I don't know how it goes, but you may know. Yeah. Um, so I have a partner because I'm selfish in what I want and expect from you. I'm dishonest in my thinking, and in most of these cases. I've done the same thing. I've treated other people the same way. I've lived, I've created this story and lived this lie. I'm self-seeking, which is how I retaliate or how I act or how I want to be seen. Um, a lot of times it's me sitting in self-pity or gossiping about people or script writing, which is me telling a story in my head, a revenge fantasy of how it's going to play out. And then what am I afraid of? And all these resentments boil down to those four things and, and, and my role in them. So, yeah, I mean, addiction stems from trauma and pain. Well, thank you, Peter. That was very informative. And I just want to remind everybody about Donna for support. And um, I offer support coaching at www.donnaforsupport.com and that's with the number four. Until next time, may your faith and strength heal your heart. Thank you for listening today. If you want to support the Addiction in My Family podcast, please subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes. If you are in need of support, Donna offers private coaching sessions and an online membership page for parents who are emotionally bankrupt. For more information, visit www.donnaforsupport.com.